Welcome back. You are listening to Nate the Hate on YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Be sure to like the video and subscribe if you haven't already and ring the notification bell in the upper right-hand corner so you are notified each time a brand new episode goes live on YouTube. And I'd like to welcome in my co-host, Modern Vintage Gamer. What's going on, Nate? It's great to be here. A lot has happened this week, and ironically, it did not really come from Gamescom, which is currently ongoing in Germany. But today's episode is dedicated to Where's the Direct, who generously donated $300 to support the channel. We thank you for your generosity, and you'd like to support the, the channel. We have a Streamlabs link in the description below. Donate any dollar amount, ask a question, and we will answer it at the end of the episode. Donate $100 or more, and we will dedicate the episode to you. And today's episode is once again dedicated to Where's the Direct? Where is the Direct Night? It's coming in September. Okay. So, right around the corner. But we're not going to talk about the Direct today. We're going to talk about some big news that has hit this week across the industry, impacting all three companies. And we're going to open with Sony, who shocked the world with a major revelation today when they announced that they are increasing the price of the PlayStation 5 in every territory except for the USA. And the pricing will range, depending on your region, upwards of $50. Generally, it looks like it is an increase between 10 to 20%, depending the region. And this caught a lot of people by surprise. And this affects both SKUs. So this is both the digital edition and the disk drive PlayStation 5. Now, we will be speaking from a place of privilege as we each have PlayStation 5s. And we're in North America. And we are in the United States. So we're not impacted by this directly, but we can still give our commentary on it because this is a bad move Mm -hmm. for Sony when it comes to optics and consumer relations. This is not something you want to see from the company you favor. This is a situation where you're going to look at Sony and you're going to have a flashback to the Sony of the PlayStation 3 era, which was aptly known as Arrogant Sony. And I've seen it on social media today that Arrogant Sony is back. And it takes a lot for a company to come out here and share that they are raising the price of their hardware. This is this is unprecedented. So, we usually see prices go down. Yes. Not up. All right, Nate. Let, let, let's, let's just get right into it. I'm going to ask you the, the elephant in the room question. Sony is the market leader, at least according uh-huh. to MPD, as far as profit, uh-huh. right? So why, 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 why do this? Like, if you are the market leader then why increase your prices for these PlayStation 5 consoles in most regions in the world? You're right. Well, the optics don't look good. So, you know, yeah. try, explain to me why this happened. So from a business side of things, I want to make clear that I'm talking if I am Sony. Yes. I am not in any way justifying their actions. You're Jim Ryan. Yes. Tell, tell me why you did this. <laughs> 
well, MVG <laughs> it's the head of Sony Computer Entertainment. <laughs> what we're seeing in the industry is that component costs are increasing. You have currency fluctuations in these regions, at least in comparison to the U.S. dollar. The U.S. dollar has held its value quite strong, whereas these regions, their currency value is decreasing. So as a business, you're looking at this saying, we're losing money on every system that we are selling in these regions. And when I say losing money, it's in comparison to what we were making even 12 months ago. Mm-hmm. That's how the situation has changed. So you're saying by by now, you know, we're a couple of years into this generation that mm-hmm. these systems should have kind of started to, to either break even or make money for Sony and they haven't. Is that what you're saying? In a normal world economy situation without high inflation, without component costs rising due to the lingering effects of COVID, we are now 21 months into the generation. Right. Cost of these components should have come down or at least met a baseline where they're ready to come down due to production. I mean, how many PlayStation 5s are out in the wild now? I believe they have sold over 20 million. 20 million, I believe, was the last count we had. Yes. Yeah. So it's not a low figure. This right. isn't like the beginning of the generation. This Two years in, we typically see companies begin to explore the possibility of price drops. Yes. Even if it's just a minor price drop of $25, but that's what you begin to see because component prices become more affordable. But in the current economy, those prices are not coming down. Components are going up in price, some due to scarcity and supply and demand still being very difficult for a lot of suppliers to to achieve. And Sony is looking at this saying, how do we achieve the financial goal we set internally given the economic situation and they crunched those numbers and they were able to rationalize that increasing the price in the regions that they have selected this is a goal that they can do so without much backlash so the um Real quick, so you, you mentioned you know we're we're from a place of privilege. Yes, we are. I mean, we're both in North America. Yes. We but we already have PS fives, so it doesn't really affect us. But uh, you know, as someone who was an Australian born, I look at that seven ninety nine ninety five price, Nate, and I can tell you, I can't think of a console that was ever that expensive, other than probably a launch model PlayStation 3 that I had to import from Japan or something like that. That's going mm-hmm. back a long time. Like I can't think of a system that ever cost me that much money, like dropping $800 on $800 Australian dollars, I should say on, uh, you know, a Australian PlayStation five that that is unprecedented at least, mm-hmm. at least from what I, re- I, I recall. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is a situation that this industry has really never seen before. We, I don't believe we've ever seen hardware increase in price. I think maybe the PlayStation 4 may have increased in price in certain regions 
at one point. I'm not 100% certain of that, but mm-hmm. it does sound familiar. But we typically see price drops. And this actually paints an interesting scenario for Sony because this price increase for these regions is now permanent. Yes. This isn't something that they are going to backtrack on in the next couple of months. This is going to stick likely through at least the next fiscal year. And then when it is time, when prices stabilize across the industry and suppliers for components, are you going to just do a price drop back to the original <laughs> launch they, price? They probably will and, and take a victory lap and say, hey, look, we did something really good. We, <laughs> we dropped the price back to what it was when the system launched, you know, and 20 months. We'll be back after a quick break. Ever thought modern video games should be more interesting? At the Gaming Blender, we take randomized genres, mechanics, and make a new game every episode. I've added permadeath. We have a survival game of a hardcore simulation, which could be House Flipper, and with the permadeath of XCOM. Then that owl has to be an action adventure. Yes. Ooh, dear. Yes. And sometimes it doesn't quite work. And you you have a construction off over the course of the of the narrative a construction off the <laughs> way the way we can do this is that we ditch your idea entirely entirely check out the gaming blender on all your favorite podcast platforms now i mean it's bad optics and as we talked about you know from the business standpoint you can understand why they are doing it they're number crunchers at the End of the day, they're worried about the bottom line, which is revenue stream and profit. Is it also fair to say, because, I mean, normally, um, you know, you kind of recoup all your money in software sales and peripherals uh-huh. and, and and whatnot. Now, we already know that Sony has increased the price of their first-party games by $10 across the board. So that is a thing that they've done pretty much since the beginning of the generation. Uh-huh. So is that is the software side kind of different than the hardware side? Because, like, wouldn't the $10 price increase on the game side help alleviate, you know, the, the issues they're having on the hardware side? And I will also preface that question by, you know, by saying that I'm not a marketing guy. I don't know anything about this stuff. This is something that, that you know a lot more than I do, Nate. But I kind of figured that the $10 game increase would, would alleviate this stuff. But here we are. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, the $10 increase... As we know, they said game budgets were going up. Yeah. And the $10 was to help developers, so wages and... Is that true? And we know at the end... I mean, no, the publisher's pocketing that right. I can't. I can't speak for AAA devs because I'm not a AAA <laughs> dev, but I think that, you know, most developers out there don't even have much insight as to, A, what the game they're making is being priced at. And like you said they're not really seeing those profits. They're not getting a cut of that. It's it's all going mm-hmm. back to the, the publisher at that point. Yeah. I mean, the idea is that it would trickle down, that if we raise the price of the game we're selling, that means we can allocate additional funds to the development studio. And that's kind of that utopian viewpoint that you would hope to see in the industry. Yeah. But when you have publishers posting record sale or record revenue stream and you have developers who are still seeking buyers because or they're going fully out of business you can understand that's not what's happening with this ten dollar increase so when it looks at the hardware and when we look at the percentages that this hardware is increasing 
I would look at more like accessories with the controller sales, headphones and stuff like that to kind of offset that. Whatever they're making in profit on the accessories isn't enough to offset what we're seeing with hardware. Now, if you want to include digital services like PlayStation Plus as another means of revenue to offset the loss on hardware here, maybe that also isn't enough. Or it's just one of those cases where Sony had a certain goal in mind and the only way to achieve that goal with the new losses and offsetting what is happening in the component and economic chain is raising the price by this amount. And Sony did their due diligence here. They looked at the figures. This is what they came up with. And they knew going into it, this is bad optics. Right. But at the same time, who has seen a PlayStation 5 in the wild? True. This isn't going to stop sales. Yeah. People have been buying PlayStation 5s for above the MSRP since launch. Yes. People have given into scalpers. Yes, definitely. And that's second-hand market. So now it's just the second-hand market pricing is going to be standard and official pricing from Sony. And it is a terrible move for the consumer base. And what I'm very surprised by is that Sony didn't do something more clever yeah deceitful but clever in the sense of let me make a bundle which they've already done we have the hardware we have the horizon forbidden west hardware bundle Mm -hmm. but now i do that bundle i include that game and now i just add in something that to sony is trivial three months of you know playstation plus or something yeah, or throwing and I sell a set boy or something. Anything. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I'll watch Spider Man. Yeah. Something that they're really not making that much money anymore. A game that sales have slowed. Yes. And then I charge you six hundred dollars for it. And you look and say, yo, I can get a PS5 in two games. Yes. And we're sitting and Sony's sitting there saying, You're really spending six hundred dollars on that PlayStation 5. Right, right. Because that's what we've kind of seen from the industry in the past is they create these hardware bundles to disguise mm-hmm. the fact that the price of the hardware is not coming down after X amount of months on the market. And it makes you as the consumer feel as though you're getting a deal, but you're actually overpaying for the product on the shelf. Sony instead said, hey, we're raising the price. Yeah. So why... Did they increase the price everywhere except in the United States? My speculation on that is that the omission of the U.S. from this list is for, well, I'd say for two reasons. The first reason is that the currency fluctuation issue is that the U.S. dollar has held its value. Yeah. And the second reason, and likely the key reason is that Xbox and Microsoft are competitive in this market. When you look at Japan, Europe, Mm -hmm. Australia, those markets really aren't that big for the Xbox brand. Right. That's Sony land if we're not including Nintendo in this equation. So Sony's sitting there saying, we don't really have any direct competition. We can raise the price here, and people don't have really any other option. They're still going to buy our hardware. They're still going to buy our software. Maybe you're going to have some who will look to the Xbox now, but overall, these regions are part of the Sony ecosystem, and they're not looking to leave it. North America, 
PlayStation 5 and the series line of consoles, they're competing. They are very close in sales, and Sony cannot come into North America and say, we're going to raise the price in the United States by $50, and now you're going to give Microsoft the price advantage? Microsoft would have been on Twitter yeah. immediately saying, for $299, you can get an Xbox Series S, get Game Pass, and you have access to all these games, and guess what you're getting early next year? Starfield. Right. Well, what is Sony's answer to that? Um, we just increased the price of our hardware. <laughs> it's a, it's a it's a very very compelling argument. So just on on that real quick, I mean, Microsoft did come out and say when when asked, you know, were they uh, anticipating a price increase for their Xbox, and they came out and said no, there was nothing planned. Which you know, I mean, it's a it's a marketing statement it's a it's a statement they're always going to say they're not they're not going to speculate that they are going to increase the price but they didn't mm-hmm. they didn't say you know we have no, no no comment or anything we have nothing to say right now which is a little different but i think microsoft has um they're probably not going to increase the price of their hardware do, do you think that they would because like the way that i see this working is if microsoft is going to increase prices somewhere. They'll probably just increase their Game Pass subscription price, especially next year when we see games like Starfield and Forza and uh, Redfall, you know, start to start mm-hmm. to come out. These kind of these big games that a lot of people have been waiting for. All of a sudden, mm-hmm. they have a little bit more pull where they could say, you know, we're gonna we're gonna increase our our, our price a little bit. But I, I guess you know what I'm asking is, do, do you think that there will be um, a response from Microsoft in, in that they'll increase their hardware costs or do you think um, they'll just keep things the way they are or do you think they may look at Game Pass and, and and kind of increase that cost at some point? I think the response from Microsoft is going to be a marketing blitz in these regions to emphasize that they are cheaper, yep. that they have a huge catalog of software on Game Pass that's expanding every single week. And that if you feel as though the PlayStation 5 is overpriced in the regions that this is impacting, we have a cheaper alternative for you. That's how I would respond if I am Microsoft. As for a price response, we know Microsoft has increased the price of the Xbox Series line in India by around 6%. Right. But I don't think they're going to do it in North America or any other major market. Because we know, based on history, Microsoft is okay yeah. with losing money on hardware. Absolutely. If it, yeah. As long as it allows them to increase their user base, and we know what their user base goal is. It's not hardware. It hasn't been hardware since the start of this generation. What they want an install base on is Game Pass. Right. They don't care how you get Game Pass, if it's your PC, your phone, your television, or through the Xbox. They want game pass subscribers so it's really not in microsoft's interest or necessity to raise the price of the xbox hardware whereas sony they don't have that alternative route of selling services on other hardware like pc they want to sell you the playstation 5 and the playstation 5 was too affordable (laughs) in the current economic I mean, environment that, for them to sell that is a good point that you bring up because the digital model 
you know, is three ninety nine. Well, it still is here in the US, but mm-hmm. that's a pretty competitive price for you know a PS five mm-hmm. minus the disc drive, of course. But yeah, I mean, I think you know they priced the PlayStation hardware quite competitively because uh, I, I think when I when we were predicting the the cost of the PS five, I think I had the the uh, you know the one with the drive at five fifty and maybe the digital one at at four fifty. So. They definitely did come in um, quite competitive, you know, uh, when they first released the system. So I, I definitely see why they've done this, but you're absolutely right, Nate. The optics aren't good, and it's just another one of those things that that Sony has kind of messed up. Um, but I guess the, the other question is, how do you increase your hardware and, and make it, I guess, you know, m- make it less you know, less of a blunder. Like I think they, they took the right approach and kind of ripped the bandaid off. Cause I mean, mm-hmm. what if they said, you know, starting January the 1st, right. We're going to increase our prices. I don't know if that's necessarily better or worse in that scenario. Maybe, maybe the way they did it is the right way. I mean, in that scenario, that's probably worse because you're going to have an influx of people saying, well, I need to get a PlayStation 5 now because I don't want to pay more in right. four months, but there's no supply for me to get one now. Yes. And then Sony could manipulate the market and the supply chains to not ship yeah. a lot of PlayStation 5s, which, I mean, I know with the holiday season, they'd obviously want to sell as many as they could. But also in the back of the mind, you have to think, I'm going to make a lot. I'm going to make more so I achieve my financial goals when I sell this hardware in January than now. Right now, if I'm selling it, I'm losing. Yeah. So from that point, you know, it's bad from a business but in terms of just that overall messaging for Sony, I think this is the best route they could have taken given the situation. And it also shows you just how strong demand has been for the PlayStation 5 that Sony could come out and do this. They know that they have their loyal fan base. They know that these fans are going to stay in this ecosystem. And even though this is an unprecedented situation, that the optics are poor they're ultimately going to get away with this. Of course. I mean, and- we're going to get the next PlayStation showcase, you know, in September, I'm, I'm guessing. We're going to see God of War Ragnarok, and mm-hmm. we're going to not even remember about, think about this anymore, you know. And, I mean, the big thing that I, as the consumer, come away with is if you don't have a PlayStation 5 yet and it was already priced too highly for you, you're going to wait now potentially 18 months, maybe longer for the price to come back down right. to what the system's launched at. And I think the disappointing thing is, and I understand that this is this is how the free market works, is that Sony did not have to do this. This is them protecting their bottom line. They have boasted high revenue streams, prof, record-breaking profits. Mm-hmm. This is to appease the shareholders. Right. And I mean, it's not like Sony is having financial issue. They're not going they, they're not going to lose billions of dollars if they kept the prices where they were. Yes. But they want to make their shareholders happy. Yeah. And I mean, this this is ultimately how business works. And the consumer is left footing the bill. And 
as we mentioned, I mean, the currency fluctuations, high inflation rates, the average person is hurting. Their wallet is hurting. And Sony even made mention of that in their blog post. And then they say, well, we're going to raise the price. (laughs) I'm already hurting financially. And you're going to tell me now that this is more expensive. And I mean, I should note that gaming as a hobby is a luxury hobby. Right. It is a very expensive hobby. This isn't something that you just, you know, fall into for a few bucks and then invest, you know, low sums of money. Games are expensive. Hardware is expensive. This is just an unprecedented situation we have never seen before. And what's curious is Nintendo is on record earlier this month saying they will not raise the price of the Nintendo Switch. The price is firm. And, you know, they have three different models. You have the light, standard Switch, the OLED. And Nintendo came out with the OLED saying, yeah, our profit margins really aren't that high on this model. And they're having supply chain issues as well. We talked, you know, we touched on Microsoft. And I think Sony, Sony's best approach in the situation is they would have had a lot more backlash had the price increase also been in the USA, which is their biggest market. Yep. So Agreed. they avoided a much more problematic situation, I guess you would say. Mm-hmm. And I've seen some people say, well, do you think Sony could potentially walk this back due to backlash? No, no. no. This is this is firm. This is set. Yeah. They this was a calculated decision where they chose the region specifically because they know they can get away with it. And I also saw some conversation saying, well, this is reason that this generation should have been delayed. And I just don't understand that rationalization because when people said this generation should have been delayed going back to 2020, a lot of it had to do with the software. Yes. That we weren't seeing a lot of exclusive software for this generation. And if we were going to rely so heavily on cross-gen games, well, maybe Sony and Microsoft could have waited till 2021 to bring out their respective platforms. But what's happening now it wouldn't have alleviated anything had they waited. This was going to happen. So all that would have happened, I guess, potentially, had they delayed these systems two years, is they wouldn't have launched at five hundred dollars. Right. They would have launched at five fifty or six hundred, right? Or you know whatever price point they would have had to come in on. So it wouldn't have really yeah. stopped anything from happening. That's a good point too. And I think you know, like, there's a lot of games, obviously, that have come out for both systems. You know, um, uh-huh. we've got the uh, Gran Turismo and God of War and Forbidden West, those games would still come out for the PS5 anyway. So, like, I think I think you're right, Nate. I, I don't think delaying the system really would have made much difference at all. In fact, it probably would have hurt them more than it would have helped, I would say, because, you know, people want to get to the, to, to the next generation. Developers want to work on modern hardware they don't want to work on a system from 2013 you know so i think i think sony was right and i i think both xbox and and sony were were right releasing their systems when they did 
it, the, the the question was really about you know like you said the software side not not the hardware side uh, so mm-hmm. I think they made the right choice um, but yeah I mean you're right I think if they did increase the price in America in the US that would have been whew, that wouldn't have been a good day for Sony I mean I think again optics today wasn't great anyway, but I think you're right they dodged a bullet if they uh, you know, that they didn't increase the, the price in the US. And they probably wanted to, but decided it wasn't the right move. Because you're right, their biggest competition, you know, is is Nintendo and, and, and Xbox. Mm-hmm. All Microsoft needs to do is say, okay, Sony, well, we're going to take $50 off the price of that Series S as our entry-level system. And that would be enough, I think, um, for them to get really, really nervous mm-hmm. about, you know, their, their uh, the next 12 months. And like one thing to be clear on is the PlayStation brand is strong. Oh, yeah. If the PlayStation brand was not strong, they would not be able to do what they just did. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. They're getting away with it. Yeah. You said calculated the, risk, and that's exactly what this was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They know they can get away with it, and that is why they did it. And as you mentioned earlier, the second a September showcase airs, this is going to fade away. This is going to be like dust in the wind. Right. Because hype over the next wave of software is going to pollute the airwaves. And the person saying today in one of the regions impacted saying, I, that's, that price is ridiculous. When they show a game, like just as a random example, Metal Gear Solid three remake. Go on. All of a sudden that hype is there and you're saying, (laughs) yo, I need to pay. I need a PlayStation five. Yeah. And Sony knows that. And it's almost surprising that they did not pair this announcement with a bigger showcase to kind of soften the blow. Well, that that is interesting you say that because I think there's going to be a a show imminently, right? Like we we feel like there's something happening in September. You know, I think that's a safe Mm -hmm. bet to say that Sony's going to... And yeah, look... Ragnarok is, is definitely going to be there, but, you know, they may have some big surprises for us for next year. And mm-hmm. depending on what they show, you're right, that, that that conversation about a price increase is going to be quickly forgotten, you know, if they basically dangle these new shinies in front of everyone and say, hey, look what we've got coming out in the next 12 to 18 months. You know, uh, we've been working really hard and here's what we got. Yeah, you're right. Um, it, the message quickly changes. But I have yeah. a question for you. Um, what do you think the PlayStation VR 2 price is going to be? Because I don't think it's a <laughs> it's a coincidence that they didn't give us a price when they announced it was coming early 2023. Do you think they're still trying to figure figure out pricing right now? Do you think it's, it's that or do you think um, – they, they already have a price in mind. It's really just a matter of, you know, the mm-hmm. right time to disclose it. I don't think it's a coincidence that they didn't give the pricing of PSVR 2 or the DualSense Edge mm-hmm. the exact same week the PlayStation 5 sees a price increase. I think all of this was calculated. And I'm sure they have the price points for the Edge and PSVR 2 already in mind. But could you imagine if they had come out this week and announced a two hundred dollar controller? Oof. A could be easily. Yeah, it could easily be two hundred. 
easily I, I would estimate one seventy five to two hundred dollars for that controller. Yeah. If it comes in lower, wow, like good job, Sony, on pricing that. So but- I I initially thought that PSVR two would retail at four ninety nine, but now I'm not so sure anymore. I think it's gonna be I'm closer to I'm six. kind of with the mentality of six forty nine, six ninety nine. Damn. I mean you can't rule it out, you know, especially based on what's just mm. happened here. That based, yes, you know, based on what's happening here, and then look at what PSVR two is going to actually feature. Yeah, look at the screens, right. look at the technology. If this was a PC headset, it would easily be a thousand dollars. Yes, so that's why I would not be surprised if it's in the range close to seven hundred dollars. Yeah, I agree with that. A lot. Yeah, it's a lot more than I initially thought it would be. And yeah, I believe that they didn't give a price right now because it would have just been way too much bad optics for them yeah. in terms of pricing. Yeah. Now you look like the premium price company out there and you're pricing a lot of people out. And again, it's a luxury hobby. I understand that. And again, we're talking from that place of pro- privilege where we're not impacted by this price change and we have the system. But ultimately, this is a bad stretch of marketing for sony to do this like we said from a business standpoint i understand why they're looking at the numbers crunching them and coming up saying we can get away with this but they didn't have to do this Mm -hmm. yeah they did not have to this is this is corporate greed and you know it's kind of one of the situations where if you want to stick it to sony if you live in europe uk japan china australia mexico canada any of these regions that have been impacted, the only way you can do so is you you see a PlayStation 5 on the shelf, you don't buy it. Right. I'm not saying you have to go buy a Switch or an Xbox in retaliation. If you don't buy the systems in these regions, Sony will sit there and say, okay, this didn't take. We have to cut the price. Even if they slash off $25 yeah. or half of what they just raised, to kind of make a goodwill gesture to the fan base in these, you know, these markets. Otherwise, they're going to get away with this because they know they can because their ecosystem and the brand are too strong in these areas. Yep, and it's no coincidence too that they just stopped reporting PlayStation Four numbers as well. You know, um, uh-huh. so now it's. I feel like now is you know they've drawn that line in the sand and said okay. I guess you could say in many ways, Nate, this is truly when the generation starts. Um, but yeah, you know, we'll, we'll see. I mean, yeah. like you said, they could cut the price, you know, 12 to 18 months from now back to where it was. Um, <laughs> and they'll take a victory lap, you know, for doing that. Yeah, I mean, this is one of those rare instances where being an early adopter actually had a financial benefit. Yeah. And it's... I mean, it's not usually the case. And I'm not saying that as a, like a, a celebratory humble brag mm-hmm. because this is a situation that we should never see in the industry. This is this is a this is a dark day. And yeah. you know, I feel for the people in these regions who are getting exploited yeah. by Sony for taking advantage of their brand loyalty. 
in these markets. Well, and it's a shame that Microsoft isn't more competitive in these markets so that Sony couldn't get away with such a maneuver. I mean, I think the other thing that we, we haven't really talked about is their push into the PC market. You know, there's mm-hmm. there's definitely mm-hmm. some room to say, well, you know, if you're not happy with these prices that we're charging for our consoles, then you can wait 12 months for our games to, to appear on on Steam and on the PC. You know, I think that's true. That's that push is going to continue as well. So, I mean, mm-hmm. as a consumer, you always have a choice in what you want to do, and Sony is offering these these games on the PC. I think most games will have, end up eventually on on the PC, but you're gonna have, you're also gonna have to wait. I don't think this whole concept of day and date will ever, you know, happen on the PC. I think you know Ragnarok will eventually end up on PC, but it's probably twelve mm-hmm. months from now. You know, so yes. you, know, you can you can as a consumer, you have many choices here. You can either not pay the money, as mm-hmm. as you know, as it's your right to do. You could just buy a PlayStation Four version of the game, and until mm-hmm. the, the day actually comes when there is no more PS Four first party titles, or you can wait twelve months for a PC version, which hopefully mm-hmm. you have a powerful enough PC to to run those games on. But um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a very interesting. Press release announcement um, for my uh, my friends and family in Australia. I, I feel for you guys because uh, that seven ninety nine price. I don't know if I could. I don't know if I could pony up that much money for a game console. It's a lot of money. No, I mean it's kind of like when the PlayStation three launched back in the day. I waited for the first price drop. Yeah, same. I wasn't. Yep. I wasn't paying full sticker no. for a PlayStation three. And if I didn't have a PlayStation 5 right now and I was in one of the impacted markets, I'm waiting. And, I mean, it's also one of those situations where, Sony, you don't really, you don't have any true must-have PlayStation 5 exclusive software right now where I have to invest more money. You're not giving me incentive to pay more money for your hardware. Yeah. The only reason you're getting away with this again is your brand is strong in these areas and there's no strong competition. So you're going you can get away with it. And I'm going to the second topic of today's episode, which is more of a curiosity. It's that Denuvo, the notorious ERM for PC games has officially been announced that it has Nintendo Switch support. And some of the fine details are that Nintendo is not involved with this in any way. So if you saw any reports that were implying that Nintendo has some sort of involvement here, that is inaccurate. That supposedly the the Nuvo for Switch was developed in response to strong demand from clients they claim performance won't be affected and that online checks will not be used. Now, since I am not a PC gamer, I have I have had no firsthand experience with Denuvo. But MVG, you have made videos about Denuvo and it's yeah. horrid. Horrid. Yes, yes it is. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, so let, let's kind of walk through this a little bit. So for those people that don't know, Denuvo is a digital rights management. Uh, it's one of the most effective ones out there on the market to date. There's been many attempts at DRM over the years. Most of them have been promptly dispatched. Denuvo is one 
that um, is basically different for every single game. So it's not like, you know, if you crack Denuvo, then, you know, you've beaten it for life. Every single game has its own DRM measure in place. So every game needs to be cracked, um, you know, by itself, right? So just because you cracked Denuvo on on PC for one game doesn't mean that you can take that same approach and and do it somewhere else. So it's it's one of those DRMs that is has a very very high success rate. Um, I'm, not, I'm not saying it's foolproof or it's perfect. It's definitely been defeated, um, but it's coming to the Switch. And I think you're right, Nate. Um, yeah, you know, it's something that Nintendo is not. It's not something that Nintendo has, um, you know, is the one that's kind of playing this car. Like they're not the ones that are, 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 are have manufactured this or engineered this. This is something that the company themselves, um, based on their discussions with with third parties that work on the Switch, have identified a gap in the market where they are clearly unhappy with, um, at least you know from from what we've been told. Uh, from piracy that's been rampant on the Nintendo Switch. And, you know, it's no secret or surprise that the Switch is notorious for game leaks and um, early versions of games come, you know, coming out on Reddit, you know, weeks before the game actually was, uh, <laughs> was you know, released in the stores. You know, we've seen this happen so many times before that Nintendo has they've tried, you know, different measures, but they can't stop these leaks from happening. You know, everything gets released before street date. And that's, that's just the reality of it. And emulators are so good now that a lot of games just run on these switch emulators without, without any, any kind of modification. And in many ways they run better than the switch version because you can up res and run at 60 FPS. So Denuvo has basically stepped in and said, Hey, we can offer a service where we can, provide our DRM to stop from these games, A, getting leaked early and B, running on emulators before they even get released on the Switch. And I don't, I don't necessarily think it's just they want to, you know, they want to stamp out these games leaking early and coming out on emulators before, but I think they just want, want to mitigate the amount of piracy that's going on. So mm-hmm. based on all that, Denuvo uh, claims that they have a solution that runs on the Switch that doesn't have any online checks, which for me is interesting because my understanding was, and I'm not a big expert on Denuvo, like I know enough about it, but my understanding was there was always a online check, you know, um, and that was one of the things they did. But essentially the way Denuvo works, and I don't want to get too technical because I don't want to bore everyone to death, but <laughs> basically what happens is the game, the, 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 the DRM runs a, a sort of emulator and everything, the game itself is kind of running in this kind of sandbox that Denuvo sets up. And every single call, like every single line of code is essentially encrypted. Um, and the Denuvo uh, virtual machine that runs, manages kind of the encryption and decryption encryption and decryption of data. So um, it's very, very secure and very difficult to crack, as I mentioned. Now, the part that I have I don't, some issue with is, is that, you know, they're saying that it doesn't have any impact on performance. Now, by definition, because you're running an extra process that's basically sitting there 
managing the encryption and decryption of data and making sure that you know files haven't been tampered with or in any way by definition that's a false statement there has to be some process that's running that manages this right and i think mm-hmm. the i think the concern is and we and again like we don't really know what this is going to look like until de novo releases start appearing for the switch but i'll come back to that here in a sec but we don't really know how much of a performance hit we're going to get we're going to get something and i think the concern is that um, number one what does that look like because we know a lot of third-party switch games right now have some difficulty with performance so is that going to take away more performance from the game in theory, it will, but what does that look like as far as percentages go? We don't know the answer to that. And I guess the second thing is, um, how does it affect things like heat and battery life? You know, you, again, you're running these processes in the background to manage the DRM for you. It means it's going to use up some battery and it's going to use up, you know, it's going to generate more heat. So I guess those things do remain to be seen. Now, Denuvo. PR came out and said, you know, it's not going to affect anything. That's that's what they, of course, that's what they say. But <laughs> it does, it's something that um, I didn't make a video on. People were asking me to kind of cover it on the channel and everything. But look, at the end of the day, I'm not really going to look at this until there is some de nouveau releases that come out for the Switch. And I don't know when that will be. I think. I want to say the third parties that are probably looking at this that have been talking to Denuvo are the same ones that we see on the PC. And the two main suspects there would be Ubisoft because, you know, all their Assassin's Creed games, um, or not all of them, but the last, at least the last batch um, ran, ran Denuvo and Capcom, their Resident Evil games on PC. All of them had Denuvo mm-hmm. for some time. So I... I would say that those two companies are the ones that have requested this. But yeah, uh, it's very interesting to to see this coming out for the Switch. It's not a huge surprise. I think a lot of people were were kind of blaming Nintendo for it. Again, don't blame Nintendo. They're not they're not the ones that ask for this. I mean, they'll they'll certainly welcome it because it will help help with the fight on on piracy. But at the end of the day, um you know, this one is something that I'm just going to wait on and see what it looks like. If, if it truly does impact battery life and performance of these games, then it's something that, you know, um, is not going to really surprise me because Zenuva has has had a long kind of checkered past on, on stuff like that happening on the PC anyway. So a lot of people are kind of very nervous about it. And I think a lot of people are also questioning why why is this happening this is a game console why would you put drm on a game console but i think you know i think we already answered that with the you know the the emulation stuff but um yeah that's that's pretty much what's happening with denuvo what it looks like and and what to expect um i would i would say you know denuvo is is not a good thing you know drm in general is not a good thing <laughs> but let's see what it looks like um i'm definitely going to keep you know, interested in in what what games do come out with Denuvo, and um, we'll do some you know some benchmarking and some tests and stuff like that, and see what what the results are. I I uh, I'd be I'd be shocked if there was no performance um ish, uh, you know no performance decreases like what the PR said because mm-hmm. there's definitely going to be at least something. 
I mean, that's the thing. Like, I saw a lot of the conversation, as you mentioned, where people were blaming Nintendo. And as Denuvo even came out, Nintendo did not come out and commission this. No, 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 no. And this is something that even though their PR claims this was in response to strong demand from clients, we may never actually see a piece of software released for the Switch that utilizes Denuvo. That's right. Yep. This is just this is a now a DRM solution that will be available to switch yep. partners. It's also something that can get patched out later on. So I know mm-hmm. Capcom do this a lot. So when they release a new Resident Evil game on PC, they'll have Denuvo in place for about 12 months, and then eventually they'll release a patch where they just remove it. Um, uh, and the reason why they do that, Nate, is because they want to maximize the amount of sales they can get. Usually, you know, obviously, you know, usually sales are, are largest in the, the first, you know, X number of months yes. of, of release. So they mm-hmm. want to kind of mitigate the amount of piracy that's going on, the amount of people, you know, making illegal backups and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and eventually they'll they'll remove it because I don't know what the licensing model looks like or what, what you pay, but I don't think it's a you pay once and you get it for life. I think it's a a rolling subscription that you get it you know year in year out type of thing. Um, and I, I would expect a similar thing to happen here, where the game will come out, will it'll have Denuvo on it, but eventually it will just get patched out. You know, when when the sales period has kind of cooled down for that particular game. Yeah, this is definitely this is one of those long term developing stories mm-hmm. where this could develop into nothing or it could develop into a very real problem for the switch. But at the moment, it's just a curiosity. Yeah, it's a press release. It's coming. We don't know what it looks like. Uh, I hope it doesn't have any real-world impacts. And I should also mention that Sony has this on on PlayStation 4 and 5. So this is not something that's unique to the Switch or unique to game consoles. We think of Denuvo as something that is DRM for PCs, but that's not that's not true. I know Sony has um, you know access to Denuvo middleware DRM as well, uh, should the developer again choose to utilize it. But you know, it comes at a cost, you know, and, and I think um, it's not cheap either to have. So I, I'm, I'm kind of targeting Capcom and Ubisoft as as the two kind of suspects for this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely going to be curious to see who is the first company out of the gate with the Denuvo on the Switch if any company actually leaves yeah. the stable with Denuvo. Implemented. Don't be surprised that Mario Rabbids 2 has it. That would be a pretty quick turnaround. Uh, I guess you're right. I mean, maybe maybe it's probably a little <laughs> too quick. But, you know, whatever Capcom is cooking up for next year, they may they may look at it as well. But I, I would say those two companies are the ones that are, are probably the, the, the biggies for, for wanting this. You don't think it would come from maybe an indie studio who would rely – being strictly digital only on the platform? It's possible. Um, but I also wonder, and again, I don't really know the licensing model of what Denuvo costs, and maybe they have some incentives for smaller companies to jump on. Um, but yeah, I mean, anything is possible, I would say. But at the end of the day, I mean, um, you know, it sounds like you want to maximize your sales, uh, but, you know, they could have a, a smaller indie, you know, use it. I don't really know what the landscape looks like, but 
I think De Nuvo in general is kind of geared more for the big AAA games because mm-hmm. those companies have, you know, the money to kind of throw around on stuff like that. Yeah, it's definitely going to be an interesting thing to watch because, I mean, as you detailed, it can impact the performance and you don't want that when you're playing a game, even if it is something like a 10% yeah. performance hit. If that is impacting frame rate or frame buffer mm-hmm. and any you know any type of performance, it's just unacceptable. Yeah. And I mean, I'm really surprised that you do see so many companies who continue to utilize this because every time, especially like Capcom, whenever they put a release on PC... It is, and it's discovered that Denuvo is there. Yeah, there is massive outcry. Yep. about it, and you would think there has to be a better solution that these you know companies can find, or that there'd be another you know middleware company with their own DRM solution that isn't as oppressive as right. Denuvo to come out that these companies could potentially implement in future releases. So. The other thing DeNuvo adds, and a lot, not many people talk about this, but it, it significantly increases file size as well. Because like I mentioned, it wow. basically installs a virtual machine around the game. So it, it significantly increases the file size. Now, I don't know if that's going to be a big deal, but it could be. You know, it, it could mean that a, a physical game or a digital game... Yeah jumps over that eight gigabyte threshold into the 16 gigabyte cartridge size, mm-hmm. stuff like that. You know, it, it definitely has an impact. And I guess the other thing to add is, let's say, and I'm, I'm going to pick on Mario Rabbids 2. I'm not saying it's coming out with Denuvo. It probably won't, <laughs> but let's say Mario Rabbids 2 comes out and it has Denuvo on it. If the, if the frame rates are all over the place, you know, if it's kind of choppy or it's, it's got um, frame frame issues, there's always going to be that perception that Denuvo is the cause of this, you know. Whether that's true or not, it doesn't matter. Right. All of a sudden, you're kind of blaming it on DRM because mm-hmm. people know it's there. They have to disclose it. So, you know, it will be interesting to see how this translates to the Switch. Hopefully, I mean, hopefully no games end up using it, but let's assume they do. You know, hopefully it doesn't impact the user experience um, in any way. And that's... I think that's the real sad part about this. It's not it's not the pirates, it's not the emulation people that are going to be hurt by this. If if this truly does impact performance or the hardware or the game, then it's the paid customers that ultimately are the ones that feel this. And I think, you know, mm-hmm. Denuvo are saying all the right things because that's what they do, but it'll <laughs> remain to be seen, you know, what this looks like when it when it you know, when we finally see one, one at least one game come out. Right. And when and if that will be is a mystery mm. waiting to be solved. Hopefully never. Hopefully never. <laughs> <laughs> we can now go into some Streamlabs questions for this week. And our first comes from Ride the Walrus, who donated $5. And they write, how do you know if you'll need to pre-order a game in order to get a physical copy. Specifically, I'm thinking about the upcoming Switch release of Nier, Bayonetta 1, and Bayonetta 3 on the Switch. If you'll need to pre-order a game, so I assume you mean it'll have a limited print. Mm. Uh, I mean, you really 
don't know. Usually you can gauge it on the publisher. Yeah. And kind of the game itself, if it appears to be more of a niche type of game, or if the publisher is forthcoming and tells you it's going to be a limited release. Like, I don't think Nier is going to be too limited in terms of availability. Bayonetta 1, I could see becoming scarce in maybe three to six months. Bayonetta 3 should have ample retail stock for at least the first year. Yeah, for at least 12 months. But yeah, you really don't know unless the publisher makes it clear or if the release itself just appears to be a smaller release. Maybe something like the Digimon game you could look at and say this would probably be a limited print, maybe just a few print runs. I think Live Alive is another game that potentially hmm. could fit into that as well. Maybe. But I, I could mean, see that be like a solid first year of availability yeah. and then trickle down. But a game like Bayonetta 1, I mean, it did come out in that double pack, right? Like, Yes, in ago. Japan. And it's one of those games where you know that um, this physical version isn't going to stick around very long. But most uh-huh. of the time you, you kind of have to look at the marketing or maybe the lack thereof around a particular release and, and make your own kind of judgment calls on, on that. Yes. Then had a dollar donation from Jackie G who writes, do you think Jim Ryan plays games? No. No. I mean, his favorite game is Jumping Flash on the PlayStation 1. So hey. he was probably playing games back then, but I don't think he's been playing games in a while, for a while. It may shock a lot of people, but... I mean, there are some video game executives and higher-ups who do play games. Phil Spencer is oh, yeah. a gamer. Phil plays um, games. Uh, Yoshida is yep. a gamer. Mm-hmm. But if you believe something like Reggie fils was actually playing video games in his mm-hmm. spare time, no. I have a bridge to sell you. Do you think Doug Bowser plays video games? No. I don't think so. I mean, you can YouTube this, and I encourage people to do it. YouTube... Reggie playing Mario Kart 7 on the 3DS. Oh, God. I haven't seen this. It's hilarious because he just crashes into the wall a whole <laughs> bunch in the first lap, and you can tell he doesn't know what he's doing. And if you don't even want to YouTube that, just remember when he played Smash Brothers at E3 on stage. Yeah, I remember that. And jumped off the stage. <laughs> yeah. I do remember that. I don't know why Nintendo of America didn't sit him down for like an hour a day for that, a week leading up to that, saying, here are the basic controls, Reggie. <laughs> We don't want to put you out there and you look like a fool. But he put him out there and he looked... I mean, he had a good humor with it where he's like, oh. But it's just... Don't go to Twitter and be like, I have 900 hours on uh, yeah. Dragon Quest Nine. No, you don't. Right. You left the game running in the background. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jim Ryan doesn't play games. Oh, man. Then had a $5 donation from Nikki writes i love the content that you both produce and look forward to each new installment of this show nate especially has a perfect voice for radio and is very soothing to listen to smiley face thank you we then had a 300 dollars donation from where's the direct whom this episode is dedicated to no question or maybe their name is the question. Yeah, and as we answered, and we already answered it. I mean, we answered it at the start of the episode, September. Yeah. We then had a two dollar and 
32 cent donation from David Cast JRPGs. And they write, thanks for the great shows as always. Am I crazy for still hoping for Zelda Wind Waker and Twilight Princess HD this year? I do not believe you are crazy to hope for that. And ideally, we have the answer in the next couple of weeks. Do we or get when both? the September Direct airs. Do we get both or do we get one of those two? That is a million dollar question. Ideally, we get both in a dual pack because I think that would be good value. Charging $60 for those individually, considering they're really just going to be the Wii U yeah. versions, is a kind of a hard pill to swallow. Mm-hmm. So I think that would be the best path for marketing if I'm Nintendo. Then had a $1.84 donation from Toast. They write, Nate, when will Nintendo release Advance Wars? The war in Ukraine will be going on for years, and they're not refunding pre-orders. So Nintendo needs to release the game or give us a date. Otherwise, people paid for a product that Nintendo is not delivering. I'd say, let's see what September brings. I no, I don't think it's coming out. Ever? No, I think it'll come out eventually, but I don't think we're going to hear about it in September. I don't know when it's coming, though. They really, even if they don't want to give a date, I think they need to communicate something where even if it's simple as we we will give an update regarding release timing of this project in the coming months, just some sort of communication yeah. to allow us to have some idea of what's happening with the release. Cause we understand why it was delayed. We understand the real world situation with Russia and Ukraine. Just communicate us some form of update. You can't leave it on your release schedule report as to be determined. I think one day out of the blue, they're just going to on Twitter, just be like, Here's the trailer and here's the release date and then not even yeah. acknowledge anything else. But I don't think it's going to be in a direct and I don't know when that will be. I mean, it could be next year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could see early next year. I mean, we're kind of at the point where we're reaching poetic territory where it could potentially release December this year. One year after its original release date before way forward had delayed it a little deeper mm-hmm. into the calendar year. And then we'd be entering 2023 where we could potentially see it release in April one year from the brand new release date it was given. So maybe we just see a full on year delay. Ideally we get an answer soon though. We then had a $2 donation from Sonic Go. They write, why has Nintendo abandoned so many beloved franchises? Star Fox, Donkey Kong, Golden Sun, Wave Race, Eternal Darkness, F-Zero, Wario Land, Kid Icarus. The list goes on. Instead, we get three brand new Kirby games on Switch. What? Damn. Throw Kirby games. Yeah. <laughs> you, you kind of had me there for a minute, but then you lost me at the end. I don't think, Nin- just- I don't think Nintendo's abandoned anything. Um, like you can't say that Star Fox, well, there'll there'll never be another Star Fox game, or there'll never be another F Zero game. I feel like those things, while they're dormant right now, will resurface at some point. 
when it, when that mm-hmm. will be, I couldn't say. But it's it's I don't think it's a, it's the right thing to say that you know they've been abandoned. Yeah, Maybe I mean, Eternal Star Darkness Fox. Has. <laughs> Eternal Darkness has probably been abandoned. Yes, yeah. though they continue to renew that trademark. They do. Yeah, <laughs> but like yeah, Star Fox. I mean, we just had it on the Wii U. We'll get another Star Fox game. It's all about timing. When is the right time and right. what is the right concept to bring some of these IPs back with Golden Sun? I mean, they probably really kind of have to f- figure out the right way to approach that series because you told a great story with the first two games on the Game Boy Advance. The DS entry wasn't great. Wave Race, I mean, that can really come down to NST. Right is no longer what they were during the GameCube and N64 generation. They are a shell of their former self. F-Zero is another case of, it just has to be the right time for F-Zero. And hey, next year is the 20th anniversary of F-Zero GX. Let's will that into... Let's go. Let's will that into reality. Um, Wario Land... I mean, there hasn't been a Wario Land in a long time. We had Wario... World, I believe it was on the GameCube by Treasure. Yeah. Uh, Kid Icarus. Kid Icarus is one of those IP IP, or franchises I see people bring up a lot. Before Kid Icarus Uprising, was anyone really that big of a fan of Kid Icarus? Mm, Not really. It was on... It was on, what, the NES and the Game Boy? On the NES and the Game Boy, yeah. And they're good games. But but it was absent for 20 years. Right. It's not like it's an IP that we got a new entry every generation. Um, but like, you know, we have the rumors out there or the job listings that Bandai Namco are is working on a Nintendo game where they're doing some 3d background. Maybe Kid Icarus uprising is getting a remaster for the switch. Um, I mean, Donkey Kong has a lot of rumors. Most of the franchise you mentioned here have the potential of coming back in you know, the next few years and, Come on, Kirby games are good. Go Kirby. Then had a $2 donation from Challenger Red. Right, it's Nate. What is the future of the Mario Maker franchise? Do you think it's dead? Or will we get a Mario Maker 3 at some point? If we do get a third game, will it be more 2D creation? Or will they introduce 3D world creation? I honestly think Mario Maker is dead. Yeah, I, I agree. Like... They they were really onto something with the Wii U version. The Switch version just didn't nail that landing, I don't think. And it, I'm not really yeah. sure what they they want to do with it next. It really felt like an unnecessary sequel that they had no passion in. Right. It's they put it out and kind of like, yeah, have fun. We didn't care about it. If you do, great. If yeah. not, we don't like go. I mean. Honestly, before reading this question, I kind of forgot Mario Maker 2 even came out to the Switch. What if they made a Metroid Maker? Ooh. Ooh. Think about that. With the NES-style sprites, would you go all the way up to yeah. Super NES, or would you go to Dread? I mean, oh. you would go to Super NES, and then they would like okay. the next Switch would have the one that had the Dread. <laughs> right. I mean, I think Maker. Yeah as an IP or a franchise of itself has potential if you don't focus strictly on Mario. If you went to other 2D games, Kid Icarus, Metroid, 
really anything that was on the NES or Super NES, I think that would have potential over a Mario Maker 3. Mm-hmm. But I kind of feel as though the game creation idea is yeah. something Nintendo isn't going to come back to anytime soon either. No, for a while. Then had a $3 donation from Kayak. Writes, after Nintendo introduces Game Boy Advanced and Game Boy Color to NSO, where do they go from there? Will we get GameCube, DS, 3DS, and eventually Wii games on Switch? Or maybe Switch 2? Or maybe GameCube and and up could be exclusive to NSO for the new Switch. Wait, so he he announced that Game Boy Advance and Game Boy Color was coming? <laughs> that's a expecting, that's, expecting. I mean I mean there's a there's a I mean there's a pretty good chance that that Game Boy and Game Boy Color's already been done and just get announced. waiting for the time. Game Boy Advance, I mean we know that Sloop is a thing. But, you know, we've talked about this before. That doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to translate to the NSO service. It could. But, um, I mean, I guess um, to answer the question, assuming those things do happen, what's after that? Honestly, I think nothing. Like, I think that's that's what you get, you know, this generation. I don't expect Game GameCube to, to, to show up on, on the NSO. Like DS, I know they have a DS emulator. The problem with this is, is how do you works. translate some of these games with the dual screens? I know there's you know there's different yeah. things you can do, but the overall user experience needs to be dialed in mm-hmm. very well. I think before Nintendo would approve it for for a launch on the NSO, like, DS and handheld mode, you can see how it would work. Yeah, the problem is then going to docked, docked mode, mode yeah. because when DS was on the Wii U. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, still yeah. had the touch screen if you needed. So you could, you know, you played. You're not going to have that dual communication. Right. So if you were playing docked with Switch, you're going to have to rely on gyro mm-hmm. of some kind for the, you know, touch screen placement yep. input. And like it, it can be done, it's just yeah. considerable work. Which would probably mean NSO would have to have a price increase. And- yeah, I mean, what what you're basically saying, Nate, is each game needs to be kind of tailored to yes. work. And <laughs> that's more than just an emulator that runs a bunch of games. That's like, it's almost ports at that point. It's not ports because you're still emulating the stuff, but you're you're modifying these games. You're you know you're you're tweaking them to run on on the Switch. I've always had a question around the DS. Like, do I think the DS is capable of running on the Switch? Yes, absolutely. I don't think that's in question. But I just never got my head around how they would solve for the dual screen in a docked environment. Yeah, I mean, I don't like just spitballing an idea here and not to get this question, you know, too deep. Could you make a Bluetooth controller with a touchscreen input that could communicate with the docked switch that they would sell like they sell the N64 yeah. NES Super NES controllers. You could do that. I mean ideally you would almost say you have a phone, you have a tablet. Right. We have now released an app called the DS app. Right. But that's almost too forward thinking, I feel, <laughs> for Nintendo. Yeah, I agree. 
then had a ten dollar donation from Lasagna Cat. So I guess Garfield. Garfield. Yep. <laughs> yes. Hates Mondays. Uh, and normal. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think it's more likely that a fourth company enters the console market or that one of the three falls out? Love the show. Thank you both for all the hours of entertainment you guys have provided me. Smiley face. Ooh, that's a good question. What's more likely I, to happen? I guess another company comes in. I just can't envision who the fourth company would be. I know. I mean, you know, we've seen Google tr- with Stadia and Apple with their device and, and Amazon with their stuff. But no one's, yeah, no one's actually come in and said, hey, we've got we've got some brand new game hardware here. Um, unless Valve, you know, takes the plunge and makes their own game console. Well, I mean, I guess could we include Valve in that sense that they have entered with like Steam Deck and such? I guess we could. Or is it a little niche? It's it's a little niche. I mean, Steam Deck is selling well, but it's still it's still very much that yeah, enthusiast, enthusiast handheld. I want to play mm. PC games on the go market. Um, I could like I could see Microsoft fall out in the sense of Xbox is no longer their priority, right? Where they're putting Game Pass on every other screen, yeah. In the you know in our lives, right? And Xbox is just the second priority, which they're already kind of transitioning to, where we where almost we don't even track it, like in terms of sales. Yeah. And that's how we consider them falling out. But I mean, Sony's not leaving Nintendo. Nintendo, this is their business. Oh, yeah. This is what they do. So, yeah. They're not going away. Yeah. I mean, you're right. I, I think if, if one of those three were going to fall out, it would be Xbox. But you're right. Only from a hardware perspective, I think, you know, oh. if they did that, they would already have a significant market share of devices that that run Game Pass, so they don't have to focus on the the hardware side as much. But I don't know; it's it's a good question. Like I think you, yeah. we can't really imagine life without Xbox, Sony, and Microsoft. But it's also hard to imagine another player coming in, like a fourth serious competitor coming in and trying to disrupt the market. It would. It sounds just. It sounds unbelievable to think about, you know, at this at this yeah. juncture. Mm-hmm. Then had a dollar sixty nine cent donation from Mister Stud Muffin, who writes video games. Am I right? Yes. Yes. A follow up dollar sixty nine cent donation from Mister Stud Muffin. What are some games that would be significantly shorter if you simply had the ability to jump? God of War. Would it be shorter? <laughs> um, jump to the end mountain that you're supposed to get to, right? <laughs> so you can. I don't want. I mean, I don't want. Everyone's played the game, but you know, Do you just spoil it. You, you just, you know, you take, uh, you take the 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 corpse that you're supposed to take, you know, and uh, yeah, <laughs> jump there. Um. Final Fantasy VII Remake, you Ooh, just that's a good one. jump to the top of uh, Shinra headquarters instead go. of having... Yeah. That always annoyed me with those type of games where you have this epic battle and you're jumping off trains and you're in the air, you're practically flying, and then in the game it's walk up 50 flights of stairs. Like, <laughs> I can fly. <laughs> right, right. 
why am I walking? Mm-hmm. And it's just like, um, don't ask questions. <laughs> <laughs> We've had, had a follow-up dollar sixty-nine cent donation from Mister Studmutton. They write realistically. Would you ever do a face reveal, or would the general public simply not be able to handle the beauty of Nate the Hate? It is the latter. My beauty would blind you, and your faces would melt like in Raiders of the Lost Ark. There you go. And I don't want to do that to my community. And, I mean, the reason I haven't done, like, a face reveal, do live on camera is... Kind of a case of, I mean, one, it's for just for privacy. And there's really no net win to doing it. Let's say I appear on camera and I'm handsome. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, great. People are going to be like, wow, Nate's handsome. Okay. Now, possibility number two, I'm just average looking guy. Okay. People say, oh, look, that's Nate. Yeah. Cool. Now let's say I'm ugly. <laughs> now I'm going to get abuse because I'm ugly. <laughs> so it's either I'm going to get admiration, mm-hmm. acceptance, or abuse. <laughs> I don't. I don't need any of those three. <laughs> but yeah, That's it's really. Right. I mean, just just for privacy's sake, and I really don't have any interest in showing face. It's also kind of a social experiment when I really started it, right? Where. There is a belief on a psychological level and social level that when you see a face and you can be subconsciously attracted to it, just where you find it not necessarily attractive to the point where, you know, you want to be with the person or you're going to flirt, but you could have a friendly appearance. So what they say, you're going to believe more than if a person that you found to be unattractive, if they said the exact same thing, mm-hmm. you would say, well, I don't trust that person because of their appearance. Right. But if someone that you found attractive said the exact same thing, you believe it. Whereas if you just hear a voice, the voice tone delivery will obviously influence whether you believe, disbelieve, agree, disagree. And that's the avenue I decided to go with. I want to see if tone and delivery and how people would react and consume what is being shared here. So I think it's an interesting social experiment to see that. And I mean, now I could also explore that avenue. Now, if you saw me, would you be more likely to believe or disagree with what I'm saying? Mm. So maybe one day my curiosity will get the better of me and I'll navigate that path. Then had a dollar donation from Where is Star Fox? <laughs> says, <laughs> Nate, I don't care what anyone says. Drake is coming spring 2023 at the earliest six years after original switch. No way is that a pro model or revision after six entire years. This will be marketed as the Switch 2 and will mark a new gen for Nintendo. It's entirely, entirely possible that Nintendo first. depends to market that way. I mean... I know dev kits with DLSS are in the wild. Developers are actively working with them. What Nintendo decides to position the hardware as is up to Nintendo. Developers know it's a Switch. They are working with a new Switch. Yeah. Beyond that, 
It's for Nintendo to decide. As for timing, I still am anticipating first half of 2023. I haven't heard anything to make me sway off that belief. That is communication I have received continuously. So till I hear otherwise, I'm expecting it in the first half of 2023. Be it March or May. Sometime within those opening six months, though. Hopefully we find out sooner rather than later. We then had a $3 donation from P. Deck Ordy. I think. Who writes, is there anything you are able to tell us about the new Fire Emblem game in development? Thank you both. Love the show. We hopefully hear something about it soon. Ideally, it gets announced and given a general release window in the September Direct. I believe it still has a very realistic chance of releasing this fiscal year. Um, I've put out a lot of information about this earlier this year. You know, the main protagonist has, you know, red and blue hair, details like that. It's a brand new game. It's not a direct sequel to Three Houses. This is a whole new installment, new cast of characters. Some lords from previous games will be featured in the game to a certain capacity. This is all stuff I've reiterated. I'm just reiterating information that I've previously shared but really nothing new to share on it. I think the information I gave earlier this year and over recent months is more than sufficient to set expectation. But that is the last Streamlabs question for this week. If you'd like to support the channel, we have a Streamlabs link in our description below. Donate any dollar amount. Ask a question. We'll answer it at the end of the episode. Donate $100 or more, and we will dedicate the episode to you. And today's episode is dedicated to Where's the Direct? September. And I'd like to thank my co-host, Modern Vintage Gamer, for joining me as always. Always a pleasure, Knight. Thanks for having me on. Always a delight, and you are able to educate us on Denuvo and what it means for the Nintendo Switch. And if you enjoy this episode, be sure to give the video a like. If you didn't, give it a dislike. Let us know your thoughts on the PlayStation 5 price increase and Denuvo coming to Switch in the comments section below. And until next time, continue to embrace the hate.